Hello, and welcome to French Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Our mission is to become a community of authentic Christ followers compelled to change the world. For more information about services and our community, go to friends.church slash Eastvale. Thanks for listening. Uh, good to see you all today. Um, as they said, if you are new, we'd love to have you at uh, the intro night tomorrow night. We talk about it a lot, but it is like our favorite thing that we do here. Uh, in the living room, we have some food and some casual conversation. It's a chance for us to share with you a little bit about our story, our values, who we are, that kind of thing. So hopefully you can make it tomorrow night. Um, I know there's a, there's a football game happening, uh, but it's way better than a football game, okay? Um, even if you are a Steelers fan, I think there are a couple in this church. Also, uh, group stuff, I wanted you to see this real quick. We are doing a study called Evergreen, uh, which is a discipleship course that we're doing at our church now. And if you haven't seen the book and what it looks like, you can come afterwards and take a peek at it. This is an example one. So if you're signed up and you want to know what we're doing, you can come on up and, and kind of peruse through the Evergreen curriculum. Um, anyway, it's so good to see you all. Uh, I heard a story this past week that I wanted to tell you, kind of fun. And it's about three sisters who all lived together. One was 96, one was 94, and the other one was 92. And uh, did you say amen? Is that what you said, Sarah? Like, um, mm, mm, yeah. Uh, the 96-year-old drew up a bath, and after she was done drawing it, she put her foot in the tub, and then she said, I forgot, am I getting in or am I getting out? The 94-year-old uh, said, I'll help you, and started walking up the stairs and got halfway up and said, I don't know if I'm going up or I'm going down. I don't, I'm not too sure. And the 92-year-old that was on the couch heard her sisters forgetting everything and said, I, I hope I never forget like you do and lose my memory like that. And then she knocked on wood you know, for good luck. And then she said, I'll come up to help you in a moment. Just let me open the door first. You see, he's at the front door of the house, right? Um, it doesn't matter how old we get, all of us at some point will get weary. Am I right? Uh, I don't know what kind of season you're going through, but at the start of the year, you can feel weary just because of the holidays coming to an end. Uh, you can be weary for all different kinds of reasons. Uh, maybe you worked hard, like Hayden, to get to a place in life, uh, to a new job or promotion, or you hit your sales goals, uh, and you're just tired because you worked really hard to get somewhere. Uh, maybe you've, uh, you're weary because of a long delay for something. You've been waiting and waiting and waiting for something, and you're weary. Uh, Krista and I uh, were a bit weary the past few months because uh, our son had some medical things going on. And thank God for doctors and for uh, prayer, and we've seen a lot of improvement there. But there were times when, uh, in 2023, when we went to bed, and I'd lay my head on a pillow, and uh, I would just sigh and go, I can't wait till we move on and get over this and get on to the next thing. And we were weary. We had been praying hard for God to heal and to do something good through the doctors uh, we had fasted, we had prayed, and we were weary because we had sought God so much in our life. Weariness can happen even when you're pursuing God. Uh, I know a person in this church who's trying to give up a habit, and it's hurting their health, but also their spiritual formation, and they're disappointed that it's taking so long to get over um, because it's just grabbing hold of their soul. They're weary from even the battle of overcoming. And so weariness can hit us in all different types of places. Maybe you're weary because you're waiting to get pregnant, and it's been a really hard journey through that. Weariness can be very painful. I cannot take away weariness. I wish I could. I wish we could just say, weariness be gone. 
all of us will be weary this side of heaven um, through different seasons of life. But in Hebrews chapter 12, the author of Hebrews gives us three choices that you and I can make when we feel weary in our life. He gives us three choices that we can respond to weariness in when we feel weary. And so if you want to turn your Bibles to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, we can jump in there. And the question I want to explore today is this. How am I to respond when I grow weary? How can we respond when we grow weary? The author Hebrews writes to a bunch of weary Christians, and I'll break down the backdrop for us in a moment, um, but these Christians had been through it, and he gives them these three choices that they can make in the midst of their weariness in order to continue to grow to become like Jesus. The big idea that I want to break down for us, I want to share with you up front, is this. Growth is a choice. That's the big idea of our passage. Growth is a choice. No matter how weary we get, no matter how tired we are, we still have choices to make for us to continue to grow in our faith and grow to become like Jesus instead of growing more weary. We have choices to make. Now, we're going to talk about what God's part is in our weariness, but we have choices that we can make as well. So uh, last week when I was gone, uh, Matt Smith did a great job introducing our series Flourish. We're in a new series called Flourish. And it's really our chance to talk about how do we flourish as a church how do we flourish individually in our walk with God? And then what does just a life that flourishes look like? Um, and we have three Gs that are directing our pathway in this series. We gather, we grow, and we go. And that three G strategy is our discipleship strategy here at our church. Um, if you know uh, about kind of friends, you've probably heard those before, but we believe that every Christian who wants to flourish in their faith will gather on Sunday mornings to hear God's word in some capacity, uh, that they will grow and that they will go and uh, have a mission and a purpose in the world. And Matt talked last week about growing or gathering together on Sundays and what we do that and why we do that. And today I want to talk about growing and becoming more like Jesus. We believe that a flourishing Christian is one that is growing in their faith. And I want to talk about how do we keep growing even when we are weary. And so Hebrews chapter 12, let me begin reading it, and then I will pray and we'll break the passage down. You all with me? Good. Good to see you today. It's good to be here, right? Amen. Come on. Verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Verse 3 again. Consider him, that is Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Father God, thank you for gathering us today. Thank you for the beauty of hearing babies cry and, and children in the room. It's wonderful that we have a church family that we can gather together on Sunday. We thank you for all of our kids and our families. God, we just thank you for this place, Lord. We thank you for heat, and we thank you for the holidays and a new year. Um, and yet, Lord, with all the things that are good happening in our church and in our life, um, we also know that we are weary. 
And there are some among us who are really weary. And there are some here that are weary and they are isolated and alone in their weariness. And so, Lord Jesus, we bring our weariness to you, our fatigue, whatever has caused it, if it's been a, a goal we attained or it's been a trial we're going through that hasn't lifted yet, we bring our weariness to you, Jesus, and we ask that you would give us the strength and the rest that we need. Lord, I know um, that, there, that all of us in this room want the church to be a place of rest. We don't want this place to be a place where we come and we get more weary when we enter in. And so we ask God that you would form us as a church to be a church where we encounter rest here. Grace and rest and peace and love and hope. Things that we all need. And I pray you'd help me, Holy Spirit, to teach this passage. It's not an easy one. And that you would encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The first choice that we are to make when we grow weary is that we are to choose to surround ourselves with people who can help us to pursue Jesus. The first choice that we're to make when we're weary, if you're weary or you're going to be weary soon, right? Like we all go through weariness, is to choose to surround yourself with people who can really uplift you in your faith. Um, I want you to picture with me a large crowd of people in a stadium. Maybe it's SoFi Stadium. Maybe it's the, the stadium from last night's game where there was like negative seven degrees and they're all hung, you know, hunkered down. Uh, but picture a stadium full of people, but the people watching the game are not fans. They're not sports fans. Instead, they are the deceased heroes of our Christian faith. People like Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and, and Samson and Daniel. And they're all sitting in the seats. And they're watching the players on the field go to battle, go to war with one another or, fight the, or play in the game. And they're cheering us on. It's this image of these heroes in the stands that the author intends us to picture in verse 1 when he says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. The word cloud means crowd in the Greek. And the cloud of witnesses are all the past faith heroes of our faith that he mentions in chapter 11. I encourage you to read that chapter. It's a great chapter. Um, but he wants us to picture them. And this text has often been used by youth pastors to intimidate 14-year-olds to do the right thing when their parents aren't watching. Maybe if you grew up in a youth group, your youth pastor said, Abraham is watching you when your mom and dad are not, you know? Uh, I heard that several times. And as much as that might be true, uh, it's inspiration, not intimidation, that the author Hebrews wrote this passage. When I was in high school, we had um, a bunch of jerseys hanging up in the rafters of our gym. Maybe you had that when you were in high school too. And before a big game, we would go out and go through a walkthrough practice, right? And before we went out, we would look at the jerseys and we would see the former jerseys of players who left it all on the court. And we were inspired to go leave it all on the court ourselves because it was now our time to play. You all follow the analogy, right? The picture of this passage in verse 1 is that we're now in the game. Like, I know it's weird because we're sitting and we're looking just at me, but we should be in a big circle, right? We should be, we are in a huddle. And it's a coach talking to us that we are in a huddle and we are in the game. And the world is watching how we will respond to weariness and tough times to keep following Jesus. These people in Hebrews chapter 11 were actually people who experienced weariness in greater ways than probably we understand. And a lot of times their stories in the Bible were at the lowest point. 
You know what I'm talking about? So if you read these stories, these are people who are weary, and their, their story, their testimony is when they're at their weariness, and they still believe and follow God. And so we are to understand, and so, okay, okay we're surrounded by people who at their worst moment chose to believe in God and follow him. These heroes of the faith would have motivated the hearers of this, original, this passage originally, but they also needed real people, living people, with living faith to encourage them as well. Look at the pronouns in our passage. Since we, let us throw, let us run, fix our eyes. And I love the scriptures because every single word of the Bible is inspired by God. Not phrases, not chapters, individual words are inspired by God. So the since we, the we is important, the us is important, the our is important. Not only are this old deceased group of people to inspire us, but we are to help one another along the way. The author of Hebrews is telling us that Christianity is a team sport. We're in it together. This wasn't some kind of empty pep talk either. The Hebrews that uh, the author uh, of Hebrews that writes these Christians were going through some serious persecution. Um, at this time, it was written about 65 AD to 72 AD, and uh, they were facing great persecution from the Roman Emperor Nero. Nero hated Christians at this time because Christians put him underneath Jesus. So Jesus was number one, and then the Caesar, and the Caesar didn't like that, and so he promised to persecute Christians. And there was a chance for him to do that when a, a fire broke out in Rome and he blamed the Christians for the fire that happened. And in order to, do, and to, and to get justice for it, he had to publicly punish Christians. The historian Tacitus writes about the persecution they faced because of this. And this is pretty morbid stuff, so just preparing you. The punishment was death. Nero made the executions a public spectacle. Their death was made into a sport. Dressed in animal skins, they were torn to pieces by dogs or crucified. Other Christians were hung on poles and drenched in tar. At night, executioners lit the human torches so that they could light up the streets as the, stream, as the screams resounded and a sickening smell of burning flesh settled over Rome. That is what the original hearers of this passage were experiencing. That's what they're going through when they hear, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us. And as you can imagine, if we were in their shoes, we would be discouraged and weary. And they were. The original hearers had considered giving up on Jesus. They thought, it's not worth it, man. I'm not going to be burned alive for this. And they considered giving up on Jesus and returning to Judaism which was a much more acceptable uh, faith in Rome at the time. And the author of Hebrews, he says to them and to us that maybe they'll stick it out in their faith if they can hang out together. If they can find togetherness and teamwork, maybe they will make it through. And so when we're weary, the author of Hebrews encourages us, first and foremost, to surround ourselves with people who will help us to pursue Jesus. Now, maybe you're thinking, I got this thing. It's just me and Jesus. Like, I'm good. Life is good. I'm not weary. My soul's not weary. I'm in a good place right now. And that could be a decent strategy when things are going okay. But it can't just be you and Jesus all the time. 
In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, 12 through 13, the greatest Christian ever lived, the Apostle Paul, he went to Tros, a city uh, in Macedonia, in, in Greece, uh, uh, to preach the gospel. And this is what we find what happens when he gets there. This is, this is a cool scene in Paul. Oh, maybe I didn't put the, the, the verse. I'll read it to you. Now, I went to Tros to preach the gospel of Christ and found that the Lord had opened a door for me. In other words, the ministry was going really well. Things were successful. He wasn't weary. Things were good, right? This is like the good season we all want to be in. He's killing it, basically, in the office. This is what he's trying to say. I'm meeting my goals, okay? But Paul does something that most Christians wouldn't do in the next verse. It says this, I still had no peace of mind because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I said goodbye and went on to, to Macedonia, a different city. And Paul knew that even though things were going really well for him, if he wasn't surrounded by people to help him pursue Jesus, pretty soon he would be defeated and discouraged in his faith. He needed to have people. So it can't just be you and Jesus all the time. It does have to be people at times with us. What about fitting in the church? Aaron, I don't fit in a, a church group. I don't fit in here. Hey, look, I don't even fit in here. Okay. <laughs> I, I don't fit in church. That's literally what I told myself for the first 20 years of my life when I wasn't a Christian. I don't fit in the church. I, I couldn't stand going to church. Church was boring and lame and weird. Um, I mean it. I, I went to church one time, and they were doing some weird youth pastor youth group game, and I was like, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> I didn't go back for like eight years. You know what I mean? So if you feel like you don't fit in, I, I get that, okay? I understand that. And it might take you like three or four groups to find your fit. I just want you to know that. I want you to set expectations appropriately for groups. Sometimes you go to a group, you love the people, right? We always love, but it, the chemistry isn't there. The fit isn't there. It may take you four groups, five groups, eight groups. I don't know. But isn't the risk to find your group greater than risking to do it alone and get discouraged and defeated? Can I get an Amen. But that's just the way it is. You just, that's part of the responsibility we have. You always love the people in your group, but you may not find the perfect fit for a while. But then you find the perfect fit, and it's awesome. I love it. So this next couple weeks, we're launching groups. And my favorite part about it is that we have 11 leaders leading groups. There's, there's a group every night of the week. So just for history's sake, yeah, amen, Krista. She's like, she knows. We used to have groups at one location on one night, at the uh, city of Eastvale Community Center. And we launched Alpha there, we had a great time. Then we got this building, we had groups here Thursday night and Carmela had one of her groups in, in the city of Eastvale. Now we have groups throughout the whole area, throughout the whole week. So we have groups in Norco and Corona and Eastvale and Chino, we need one in Chino Hills. Sometime we had a, got to launch one there for the Chino Hills people. Like we got groups every night of the week in different parts of the city and the best part are the leaders. Because when we launched, we had four great leaders leading groups. Now we have 11. Because God is doing something so good here. He's raising up people to lead. I don't know if we have a picture of them in the back, Maddie. I think I sent one, but maybe it didn't get through. No? No, cool. I wanted to, to boast about our leaders, but also wanted to show you that they're normal, okay? <laughs> like, I, I, for real. People are like, yeah, I don't know if those, they're normal people, okay? And, uh, and so they're great. And the best part about the groups is people like us are going to show up and we're going to make some friendships, and then you're going to get strengthened in your faith and not grow weary because you surrounded yourself with people who help you pursue Jesus. 
one of the best parts of living life is to be on a team that is really healthy. You ever been part of a team, like a, a business team, uh, a sports team, a ministry team? It's one of the most, oh man, life-changing, uh, you know, just good moments in life when you're on a team that you love. Now, there's a movie Kristen I saw this past week, Boys in the Boat. I know it could be so good, right? Uh, if you haven't read the book, read the book. It's super powerful. Tells a true story of the University of Washington eight-man rowing crew team that won gold against uh, Nazi Germany in 1932. So you know it's going to be good, just that setup right there, right? And there's a quote from the book that I love, uh, and it comes from the main character. Uh, his name is Joe Rance. He's the main like, highlighted character in the book and the movie. And uh, uh, someone asked Joe, do you like being on an eight-man rowing team instead of an individual rowing skull or a two-man rowing skull, which are much easier to control and to, like, and to actually train for? Eight-man's really hard because eight people on the same page is tough. And he looks over at the person who asked him the question, and he says, it wasn't eight. Or he says, we, what, we weren't eight, we were one. We weren't eight, we were one. And that's what it's like when you're part of a good group and a good team. You feel like you're not just an individual, you're part of something bigger. And it keeps you moving forward. And that's what we get to have here when we're in groups and even here on Sunday mornings. We aren't a hundred, we're one. And we pursue Jesus together. And so surround yourself with people to pursue Jesus with if you're weary. Secondly, he says the next choice we're to make is to, to not, not just about the people you're with, but the shape that you're in. He says this, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. What's the second way to respond when we're weary? Number two, we are to choose to cut out anything that might be holding us back. This is about the spiritual shape that we're in. And this verse highlights the normal preparation of an athlete that was getting ready for a running race. So athletes would, would show up to the race, and we're going to see this over the Olympics in the next few months, which I, I'm so stoked the Olympics are back. It's awesome. And the runners will get to their race, and they will take off their tracksuit, right? Like, they're not running in a robe, a 100-meter sprint. They have the spandex on, and they're running really fast, you know? And so what he's highlighting is taking off anything that would hinder you from running the Christian race really well. When he says to throw off everything that hinders, this means anything. Everyone say anything. 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 Even if it's not sinful. Everything is included here if it's not helpful for running your Christian race. I, I ran cross country in college, and I was, just so you know, the slowest person on the team, and our team was the worst team in the league. So just do the, the, the reasoning of that, right? Just don't, don't think I was fast at all. So I, I showed up to my first race in college at Balboa Park in San Diego, and I lined up, and I had played one year college basketball, so I went to college it was to play on the sports team. I got saved. I quit the basketball team. They offered me a cross-country uh, scholarship for just two months out of the year, and that felt okay with me and the Lord. So I committed to cross-country. I showed up, and I looked across the line, and I noticed something right away, that all the other runners were much thinner and skinnier than I was. And I had put on all this bulk to play college basketball. Now, was the bulk bad? No. The bulk was good for ball. The bulk was a detriment to running the best race I could. And that's the picture that we're giving here. When we are weary, it is time to pause and examine your soul about why and what might be hindering you, what might be getting in the way of not being weary, what might be 
making you weary. And this isn't just about your beliefs or about your behavior. It's also about your beliefs. Because some of us, we might do something and we go, okay, I got to cut that out. But you have to examine why you're doing that behavior in the first place. So we might cut out that Netflix show that you're watching. Is that show really helping you run your Christian race? And then, about the next two minutes are going to be painful. <laughs> just want you to know. That's why I'm so energized today, because they were painful for me, and I'm just wanting to give you the pain, okay? I want to share it <laughs> with other people. Okay. Um, is that Netflix show really helping you run the race? And then, why are you watching that Netflix show? Like, it's not just about the behavior, because we're not about behavior modification. Spiritual growth is not just about your behavior like a bunch of robots. It's about heart change. And your heart change can only change if you examine deep beliefs, right, therapists in the room, that are going on on the inside of a person. And why, why are you drawn to that show? What is it about that show? Um, maybe your life is so noisy you can't hear from God. Uh, maybe you multitask when you do your devotions. You got your Bible, great. And then you got your phone. Anybody do this? You're like reading the Bible. Am I just preaching to myself? You go, oh, wait. I checked. You, so, you do your devotions with your phone next to you, and so your, your devotions aren't refreshing. Because how can they be refreshing if you never get, really get to hear the voice of God? Maybe you need to trim off putting your phone in a different room, and then you go and you actually spend time with God. I'm not saying this, again, this, this isn't all sinful stuff. This is just stuff that might hinder you. Maybe you do your time with God in the car. And I know some of you how you drive. <laughs> you're not paying, to Jesus, playing, uh, uh, paying attention to Jesus when you drive. You know, you're paying attention to the bad drivers around you. And you're getting all upset. And then you're like, I have my devotions in my car today. No, you didn't. <laughs> Come on. Take 10 minutes quietly with Jesus. Cut out that. Right? I'm, again, I'm, this is, it might not be sinful stuff, but it may, might be contributing to your weariness. Maybe it's debt credit card debt. I mean, we all know, if you have debt, how weary you feel. There's not a lot of joy, there's not a lot of hope, not a lot of peace when you have a ton of credit card debt. So maybe you cancel your subscriptions to all the things you have subscriptions to, and you just put all that money towards your credit card debt to try to get out of it as fast as you can. I would love to see people out of credit card debt in this church as much as we can. I'm not picking on anybody in this at all, uh, pointing at myself as well in this, in this next one, but, but sports. There's so many athletic images in this passage. This is an athletic paragraph that I have to point out and ask us, are sports too important to you? Are athletics too important to you? Um, I think that sports have taken too great of a place in America today, especially among Bible-believing Christians. And I, I can speak this really authentically because I grew up in this whole realm. But maybe you're so tired from like, and weary because you spend so much time on fantasy sports or, or at the field or maybe you're, you're driving your kids to every soccer game or football game in the world and you're tired because of all that. And again, it's not about the behavior. It's about the belief system. Why is that so important? Is it the scholarship? Is it the money? I didn't even get a scholarship to play college basketball, and I went to college to play basketball. I got a scholarship to run a sport I never ran. <laughs> and, then I got, and then after I was done with that, I got a scholarship to be on the student government team 
because I had decided to follow Jesus and learn about leadership. You don't know where the money's coming from. You don't, don't bank the scholarship and sacrifice your walk with God. Am I, amen? Can, I just, can we just do this? Yes. Right? Don't hinder your kids and your walk with, family, with God because you think a scholarship's coming. It's not about that. It's about being faithful now and trusting what the money's going to come later. I mean, we, I mean, God, okay, done with that. I get, I get emotional. J- just, man, come on. Let us, these people, we'll keep going. <laughs> All right. Um, it could be overwhelming to throw off everything that hinders, throw off everything, like, so today, all I want us to do is name one thing. What's one thing? You know, like, if, if, it's, if, if you're saying throw off everything that could hinder, what's just name one thing in our lives that would help us run the race better? Because we might be getting weary from it. Um, I don't know if you're going to stop tomorrow, but I know that by naming it today, it will help you a lot. Just naming things is a big deal. Um, I'm trying to cut out sugar in my own diet right now because I ate too much sugar last last six months, um, and my mind was foggy, and I was weary, and I wasn't getting good sleep. And you might be thinking, you know, to yourself, Aaron, um, it's impossible to quit sugar, and now you ask me to, to, like, give up Netflix. Like, these are, this is more addictive than anything else. And so it might feel like wishful thinking in, in this idea of giving things up. Um, but brothers and sisters, you know, I never want to talk about something at church that seems impossible to you. This isn't wishful thinking. I want to give you a difference between wishful thinking and true hope. This is important. You can take notes on this for a moment if you need to, okay? Wishful thinking is you have a desire for change, but there's no foundation for why that desire would ever happen. You hear? Wishful thinking is you have a desire for change, but there's no foundation for why that desire could ever happen. True hope has the same desire for change, but there's real foundation to why that change could happen. You see the difference? Wishful thinking, I want to change, but there's no reasons for why this change could happen. True hope is I have a desire to change, and there's actually reasoning to why this change could actually take place in my life. And that's what we find in the next passage about the true hope that we have. It's not wishful thinking. The true hope is is said about Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is one of the richest descriptions of Jesus in the Bible. And it says that Jesus is the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Um, This is actually less of a description of Jesus and more of a title for Jesus. The word uh, for pioneer in the Greek, it means ruler, beginner, the old one, the first one, the initiator, and the forerunner. My favorite uh, use of the word is the word champion. Jesus is the champion of our faith. He's the one who won the race. He didn't come second. He didn't, you know, cross the line at the last minute defeating somebody else. He was first in front of everybody else. And he won the race because he did what nobody else wanted to do or could do, which is that he, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. What does that phrase mean, for the joy set before him? What it means is that he saw the joy that it would bring to you and to me to defeat our sin. He saw the rest and the lack of judgment and the acceptance. 
and being a new person, having the Holy Spirit, he saw all the joy that it would bring you and me by dying on the cross. And he went to the cross, he endured it, he scorned its shame. Literally, he shamed the shame of the cross. Now, I've talked about this a lot, and I want to make sure you understand, the cross was a humiliating thing to do and to go on. I mean, I've said it a lot, but the cross was the worst way to die, but it was also an embarrassing way to die. When you died on the cross, your reputation was over. Forever, you were like, that's the guy who died on the cross. Everyone knew you as a criminal, and Jesus knew that, and he shamed that shame because he saw the freedom that he could bring to us by dying on the cross for our sin. And after he saw the joy and scorn the shame of the cross, he was then given the champion's chair. It says that he was given the seat next to God, which is a place of honor. So Jesus is the champion of our faith. But he's also the perfecter of it. And I, I love this word. The word perfecter in the Greek, it means to help you get to the end. It means that Jesus is there to get you to the end. Jesus is the champion, but he's also the one who helps you get to your finish line in your faith as well. Um, some of you know that uh, in 2017, I ran a 100-mile marathon uh, up over the San Gabriel Mountains. We ran over there and then went over to the Rose Bowl. Kind of crazy, I know. Um, I told you I don't fit in the church. Um, so, you know, weird things like that, right? Uh, but I ran, this, I ran this race, and the race director said that we could have a, a, a pacer at mile 50. And so at mile 50, I saw Krista, and uh, she wasn't my pacer, but she could, can run. Uh, and I, I saw my friend Mark, and Mark is a, uh, was a former cross-country runner for the University of Michigan. He's really happy right now. Uh, and he was really fast, and he ran with me the last 50 miles of the race. And during that time, he encouraged me, he made sure I drank water, he gave me food, and when I got to the finish line, 30 yards from it, he veered off. And then I went through the finish line. And when I got to the end of the finish line, I saw Krista and Mark and uh, other people cheering me on. And that is a picture of Jesus as the perfecter of your faith. He will run with you until the very end, until you get to the finish line, and he's going to be the first one to cheer you on when you cross it. He's going to make sure you get there. Whatever you're weary with, he's going to run with you. You get that? He's going to continue with you no matter what, through the highs and the lows, and he's going to make sure that you get to your finish line. He promised this in John 6, 38. For I have come, this is Jesus speaking, from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those that he's given me, but raise them up on the last day. Jesus promises to get you and I to the end of the finish line of our faith. And so we are invited to do the one thing that weary souls can only do sometimes, and that is to fix our eyes on him. Sometimes when you are weary, you got nothing left but your eyesight, and you're to fix your eyes on Jesus. And so the third choice that we are to do when we are weary is to fix our eyes on Christ for our strength, and for our rest. Uh, yesterday, I read a headline, maybe you read it in the news, that two Na uh, uh, Navy SEALs uh, were lost at sea during a mission in Somalia yesterday. I don't know the mission. I don't think they're able to tell us what the mission is. But one of the Navy SEALs fell off a boat in the, in the water at nighttime, and another Navy SEAL jumped in after him. And the code of the Navy SEALs is, if one of your guys falls in the water, someone else has got to jump in after them, no matter what. Because it's a lot easier for two Navy SEALs to find their way home than just one. 
And I commend that Navy SEAL who jumped in after his buddy because it was dark and night. They're on a mission. They're in the middle of some ocean near Somalia. They had just gotten done with a mission. Who knows what's going on around him? And he sees his friend go in the water and he jumps in after him. That's what Jesus does for us. Some of us are in like an ocean and we're tired and we're weary and we feel like we're about to drown at any moment. And Jesus jumps in. It's like, I'm just jumping in. And he's like, I'm committed to help you get home. I'm committed to help you get to where you need to be to be safe. That is who Jesus is. He is the champion and he is the one who helps you get to the end. So this is a great time of year to choose to make choices that help you. To choose to be around people who can help you follow Jesus. To choose to cut something out that's keeping you weary, to choose to fix your eyes on Christ who promises you and I to help us get to the end. After I studied this passage, I was on a walk absorbing the pain of it. <laughs> and I uh, saw my neighbor, Daniel, he's not a Christian, in his garage. Daniel was, in a, was a successful airline pilot until 20 years ago when his... Um, legs started to give out and he was diagnosed with a rare muscle disease in his legs and today he walks around with crutches on his arms he kind of gets around a little bit uh, but one day he will be permanently in a wheelchair no matter what happens so i walked by his garage and i saw him on his stationary bicycle you know riding his bike and i was like dude uh, what are you doing he's like well i ride my bike every single day for 90 minutes and I had just gotten done looking at all the choices that the, the author gives us in the passage. And I said, Daniel, I want to commend you and you inspire me for the choice that you're making to get on your, your bike, even though your legs are not ever going to return back to normal. And he said to me this, he said, this is what he wrote down, I wrote down. He said, if it's the decision between walking a little now and never walking again, it's not much of a choice, is it? I was like, Wow. I, I got on my, my voice memo and I wrote that down. See, Daniel has a decided heart. No matter what happens to his legs, no matter how weary he feels, he's decided in his heart to get on that bike. And it's, it's inspiring. But how about us in here today? How about we decide? How about we have a decided heart to jump in and to be around people who will encourage us to cut something out. I know it takes courage. How about you decide today, I gotta get rid of that thing. How about you decide today to just look to Jesus for help and strength that you need? How about you decide not to walk it out alone? That's a big one. And the promise is that Jesus will jump in with us and help us get home. I love the, uh, the old hymn, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's one of my favorites. I sing it when I'm discouraged. I, I sing it when I'm excited. Um, we're going to sing it right now. But the lyrics of that song, they say, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I think that's the right heart posture as we respond to God's word today. Would you pray with me? God,